I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Bull Business. I'm your host, David Grosso. I represent Gen FKD, a nonprofit dedicated to helping millennials succeed in the new economy. I'm joined by my co-host for the day, Brandon Scoopy Robinson. What's up? The sky. <laughs> Good morning. Now, I see a ceiling here in the in the studio. All of that. All of that. Good morning. So who the heck are you? Tell us about yourself. I'm Brandon Scoopy Robinson, managing editor and columnist at Respect Magazine and also the host of uh, Scoopy Radio, a podcast that's dedicated to sports, entertainment, lifestyle, anybody from Gloria Allred, Allen Iverson, uh, Too Short, uh, anybody in between, Pete Sampras. And uh, I remember Pete Sampras. I'm old enough to remember that. We, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> a lot of young people don't know sports stars from like, you know, 10, 20 years ago. You, you're telling the viewers our age. <laughs> I'm young. I swear I'm young. But anyway, so you do that, but you grew up here in the city? Yes. Yeah. Split time between here and uh, New Jersey. And what are your interests there, Mr. Scooby? Um, you know, walk, long walks on the beach. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Is this a Match.com profile? Nah, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, interests, obviously, just to be the best, man. Uh, glad to sit next to you and uh, looking to have a good show. But honestly, just uh, I love sushi. I love to cook. Um, I love sports. Uh, happy the Knicks are doing all right. They're like in ninth place right now, but... Yeah, I know nothing about sports. So we're going to move on to our first segment, which features business headlines that help us get this conversation started. So here we go. Our first headline is from CNBC.com. It is about one how one Harvard Business School professor believes half of U.S. colleges and universities will be bankrupt in the next 10 to 15 years. He says online education is disrupting higher education as a more cost-effective alternative. The fallout from future generations adapting to online education will be the closure of an estimated 4,000 colleges and universities. In order to survive this transition, many colleges will also merge with others, while some will declare bankruptcy and disappear altogether. Scoopy, do you agree with this, Professor? 
<laughs> Not too controversial, right? No. It's pretty straight down the middle, man. We, yeah. uh, I'm getting flashbacks to my freshman year of college. I'm telling my age. Kanye West, uh, college dropout. There was a scene, there was a skit in the in the uh, in the in the CD uh, where he said broke, 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 broke. <laughs> I mean, things are rough right I now. I mean, man. even <laughs> even if your parents are relatively affluent, yes. you know, and that's only the top 20, 25% of the population, sure. it's still crazy expensive. Crazy expensive, and um, you know, just like I think mainstream news is a privilege to have. It seems as though education uh, is a privilege to have. But Housing think, is a privilege to have these days. Yeah, but I think more than anything, um, I, I think the combination of education with just common sense. I mean, I think in today's day and age, you can learn how to do a lot on YouTube. That doesn't supplement um, an education or a diploma, but I also think you need that life experience plus the college experience. So. I feel like for parents and for students, if you're not serious about what you want to do, maybe scale back a little bit. Go to a local community college. Get those credits. It's cheaper. And then, you know, go to a four-year school if that's what you want to do. Oh, God. We agree on everything. So, anyway, we're going to move on to our next headline since we largely agree about this. You remember the Winklevoss twins? Yes. Well, anyway, the Winklevoss twins. Yes, that pair of identical twins that Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg allegedly called. You remember that? Winklevy? The Winklevi. <laughs> are back in the news. According to Fortune.com, the Winklevoss twins are now billionaires because of their investment in Bitcoin. The, they originally put in $11 million when the currency was trading at $120. It's now trading for more than $11,000. And they are currently one of the largest holders of Bitcoin on Earth. Now, if you're wondering where the hell they got that $11 million from, funny enough, that money came from the settlement that they reached with Zuckerberg after they claimed that their idea to start Facebook was copied by the Zuck. So, you remember the Winklevi now? I do. Yeah. The Winklevi is winning right now. <laughs> by a lot. Where's Charlie Sheen? <laughs> winning right now. And I, winning right now. And so I, what do you think of them? Well, I mean, listen. Don't you wish that when you were in school, you were sitting in your dorm room plotting <laughs> ideas? I mean, I mean, I have friends when I was in college. Like, they basically took their refund money from loans and flipped it into houses. And when President Obama had the, you know, the first uh, owner, uh, homeowner uh, tax credit. Oh, yeah. Eight, nine grand. Yeah. A lot of people were taking that money and investing it in flipping duplexes. I mean, I I think this is more the advanced version of it. Um, Oh, the very, very advanced version of it. But uh, that $11 million startup capital. And what do you think about Bitcoin? Overvalued or rushing to get in? I'm still learning about it. And when I first heard about it, I thought it was a candy machine at the the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah, you put a quarter in, let me get some Bitcoin. (laughs) You know, we have Bitcoin Girl on. She's been my co-host before. Uh And I always have questions for her because I feel like I know a lot about Bitcoin, but I really don't. Let's not pretend we know. Let's not fool the people. Yeah, let's not fool the people. So we're going to move on to our last headline, which is from Quartz. And it's about how millennials are said to be the most unequal generation yet. A new study by Credit Suisse suggests that millennials in a number of advanced economies will encounter the worst income inequality of any generation in recent memory. The gap between the rich and the poor, even among millennials, is already noticeable. You notice. Yes. <laughs> Maybe one that could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of millennial billionaires like the Winklevi. Yes. And young people in well-paid industries like tech are doing brilliantly, while the rest of us have incomes that are more than 20% lower than what baby boomers' earnings were when they were our age, our parents. Mm-hmm. So part of the problem is the cost of college and student debt. Also, 
inherited wealth is beginning to distort wealth distribution that will only grow as baby boomers begin the largest transfer of wealth in human history to their millennial children. Hopefully some of that coming to us. So Bring it, send it on down. Send it on down. <laughs> You're the next contestant, Don. You have an inheritance. Yeah. An inequality. Bad, good, like the cloud above our head can't do anything about it. What do you think? Listen, I'm no hater. But uh, if people want to transfer over to uh, my Chase account, my number is <laughs> zero, 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 zero. Call me after. Send, send me a DM. I'll let you know what it is. But no, in all honesty, I, I mean, I think um, what you said about the uh, college debt has a lot to do with it. I, 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 I kind of equate it to being sandwiched in. Okay, so our grandparents, our parents, and us. Our grandparents didn't necessarily do better than our parents. Our parents financially may have done better than our grandparents, and then we ain't spit. No, <laughs> so they were making like, more money when they were our age. And they yeah. looked down on us. Some still live at home. I, I recently left home. Um, and I think so that, did I. All right. So I wish we, I could still live at home. Nah. Nah. <laughs> I got things to do, brother. But no, I, I think that... Um, you have some special guests staying with you. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Listen, what, what I do in my personal life <laughs> is my business. No, I, I think, honestly, I think the financial uh, wealth... Like, I, I, I wish I had somebody that was a, billion, a billionaire that was my parents, but... I'm thankful for the parents I do have. And I think that um, the, big, the thing that has always made America great is the fact that people have always worked hard and invested in something. And I think right now the biggest thing is we have to find a way to make this digital flip happen for us. I, I talked to Mark Cuban uh, not too long ago when he was talking about um, investments in various things. And I think that the biggest thing for, for us as millennials is to find that digital flip. We're still making that transition, and, and hopefully we find a way to do that. Hopefully there's a little bit of space in that digital flip for you and me, right? All right. I got Got you. Got you. But as long as I owe you, you never go broke. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, debt is a huge problem in our economy. But anyway, moving on to our star lineup of guests. Our first guest was crowned Miss Universe in 2013. Gabriela Eisler is a Venezuelan model and the chairwoman of Eisler Initiative Foundation. She's involved in several philanthropic initiatives, including one to end teen pregnancy in her home country of Venezuela and another to combat human trafficking around the world and many more. Welcome to the show, Gabriela. How are you doing? Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. I'm a little disappointed. What are you disappointed I about? I wish Steve Harvey could have in introduced you. Uh. <laughs> was the Steve Harvey era your year or was it the year no, after? No, the year after. The year after. That's what I thought. Yeah. So you knew you were the winner when you won. There wasn't any confusion. Well, actually, yes. The sound went off in the entire theater, so I couldn't hear. That was my name. So it was like a couple seconds, and I saw that former Miss Universe coming to me with the crown. I said, oh, it's me. But it was about the, the audio. It was not about the... Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you say, it's me again? <laughs> Just for me, one time, one time. Can you say, it's, it's me. You're winning already. <laughs> <laughs> so you really didn't know. I'm sure there's a lot of chaos up there on stage when everything's going on anyway. Yeah, actually, you're totally blocked. I mean, you see totally people... Totally what? Blocked. I mean, Black? You Block. block. Oh, block. <laughs> For those who don't know, I do speak Spanish. That's my first and native language. I learned English just when I came and moved to New York in She's 2013. She's only English for four years. She's so, That's awesome. So, yeah. So the day that I won, I was totally, like, overwhelmed. I didn't hear my name. So you're shocked. So for me, it was a big surprise. I needed it from my country. So you took the crown. You settled here in New York City. Yeah. And you stayed longer. Uh, you were asked by our, pre uh, our now um, president, yes, mm -hmm. to stick around for another year, correct? Well, actually, I have the longest reign in the history. I won in November 2013, and I gave the crown almost February 2015. So I went 
for a couple of Christmas with organizations. So, you yes. got two Christmases I as Miss there, Universe? Yes, yes correct. That's a heck of a gift. Uh-huh, yeah, I know. I'm with it. <laughs> and what is it like to be Miss Universe? Well, actually, it's a big challenge. People believe that you just have a beauty title role, but it's more than that. You actually, you actually have the chance to empower young women and girls through the, the platform to be Miss Universe, not just for your country, but for those girls around the world that actually follow the pageant. This is a, a competition that is not about beauty. It's about resistance. It's about uh, your personality and how you can what you can bring to the society and the community. So I'm super happy that the show actually changed the perspective and they're looking for a more real woman, commit with the society, commit with, get this role of empowerment. So in my entire year, I commit myself to do humanitarian. I visit more than 19 countries in every country that I did charity. And after I create my own foundation in Venezuela, but for me, it's not about beauty. It's about be a, powerful role woman, role model for women and girls. But she's also beautiful. Thanks. Is she passing the real test? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I look your face and you're like... Mm. I'm curious. Uh, you, you talk about your humanitarian work. Um, can you be more specific about it? Because I'm, I'm intrigued. Well, um, in my country, I mean, South America, Venezuela have the highest rate of teen pregnancy. So uh, every four minutes, a teenager gets pregnant in my country. Wow. So the rates of maternity mortality because of the age and the, diffi the difficulties that we're actually having right now as a country, the struggle, mm -hmm. the lack of uh, contraceptives, the lack of um, medicines and the shortage of food. I mean, everything we can call it excuse or not, but it's a lot of going on in my country. And one of the things that is increasing, like, a lot is the teen pregnancy rates. Sure. So for me, being Miss Venezuela in my country, you have that kind of, like, royalty title. You have the voice and you have the power to use that in some way that you can do something positive for the community and the society. So uh, You've been the face of that campaign because I saw yes. in your press kit, you know, when, when guests come on, they give us a wealth of information. <laughs> and she, Gabriella, g gave me her press kit. And I saw that you're the face against teen pregnancy yeah, in your actually, own country. Yes, because Miss Venezuela is owned by a TV channel, the largest TV channel in Venezuela. So I said, OK, we have a year of contract. What are we going to do? We have a TV outlet. We have uh, different sources of, like, spread the message how we're going to do this. So we create a campaign called If You Rush, What Do You Win? So in Spanish, it's different. It's like a plate of words, but it's trying to say to the girls and the young adolescents, don't run, don't live your life according to your age. Don't rush that decisions. Go to school, go to college. It's time for everything. And we're trying to give sexual and reproductive health information plus valuable information about family values and decision makings. So I'm the face and the, the spokesperson of the campaign. And that, on, this, on the other side, I have my foundation that benefits more than 4,000 students with an education program based on family values and trying to make them aware that they can make decisions in the right time. How are the young ladies uh, in your native country taking to this campaign? Because you as the face. Yeah, they actually love it. They do a lot of, like, memes. I mean, that's good because everyone, <laughs> the campaign is in the mind. culture. Yeah, <laughs> the campaign is in the mind of a, a lot of Venezuelans right now. And it's actually working really good, not just for the adolescents, but for the parents. They're actually getting in the conscious mind that, okay, I need to talk with my kids. I need to talk with my, with my, my, with my son, with my daughter. So it, it's, it's been very satisfactory. Guys, I'm... No, no, please, please. I'm, I pass a test. I'm curious. Okay. No, no, no. Well, I don't know. This is our judge here today. <laughs> oh so, God. As the young kids say, you lit. 
You're lit. You're good. Okay. I, I know we're getting ready to go to the next segment, but before we do, I'm curious. If we got on a plane with you and went to Venezuela, would you be mobbed? Like, as far as, like... Would you be mobbed? Like, would we, would are, we, we safe? are we safe? No, meaning, like, if we got on a plane with you, the minute you get off, is it going to be like, oh, my God, it's so-and-so? Like, will we have to, like, have people getting people off of you? In my country, yes. Really? Yes. Since they, when, you, when I get to the airplane, I see people that recognize me, and it's, it's, it's very nice because they love me and they respect me and it's something that you win it's not something that they have to respect you they have to love you but i i want that credibility step by step i want the credibility and that love with all the efforts and using my title for something good since i became Miss venezuela committing myself to all this humanitarian causes but you need to stay with me to be a little safe you know, it's, it's, <laughs> so before uh, i let you go tell us about your other initiative to combat human trafficking you met the pope i saw the pictures yes, of that. yeah actually because the day that i won miss universe a typhoon hit the philippines the typhoon high end so i went to the philippines we created the miss universe quarter relief fund to help the communities living there they have nothing no water no food nothing and the the they were full of joy and they they were full of like hope and i said this is not gonna i can't believe it they changed my life besides change, me changed their life so i commit myself to this humanitarian i get the blessing from pope francis and being in the u.s i work with a very close organization like like this close to the vatican called the scalabrine international immigration network where i commit myself as a migrant to be a spokesperson for those migrants, that we have a crisis of migrants right now going on in Venezuela. More than 500, I mean, half million Venezuelans have left the country, mm. Colombia, Chile, Argentina, Ecuador. So I'm part of that global ambassador of the Scalabrine Immigration Network um, and work with them to fight against human trafficking, to create awareness of immigration and be the best voice and the representation that I can be for a migrant, Hispanic and Latin in the U.S. So, Gabriela, before I let you go, in 10 seconds, what's your advice for young people? My advice for young people would be believe in yourself. I, my life changed when, in the moment that I started to believe in myself and believe in my capabilities and believe in the power that I have. So in that moment, you do this click and all everything starts to change. And the right moment that you believe and trust in yourself. So. Gabriela, that's beautiful. In 10 seconds. <laughs> wow, okay. that's like life. Man, uh, you offer lessons on the yet. side to be spokes <laughs> to be a spokesperson. You were fantastic. Thank you, Gabriela, Thank you so much. Me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Buzz test. So next, we have Jess Phoenix joining us. She's a volcanologist, climate change expert, CEO of Blueprint Earth, and also also running for Congress in the 25th District in California. She's also featured in the upcoming season of the Science Channel's What on Earth? My God, that's a long resume. You like 45? Uh, no, I'm 35. <laughs> but thank you. You see why I don't talk about age? Yeah, see, I can tell who's got uh, who's on this morning. <laughs> it's his show. I'm going to play nice stuff. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's really great to be here. Yes, so you're a climate change expert. Uh, well, I've done climate change research. My actual emphasis is on uh, the environment in general and okay. volcanoes and natural hazards specifically. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've researched climate change in Peru and Wyoming and Hawaii. I mean, kind of all around the world. So I'm curious. I saw the news the other day. There was snow in Hawaii. <laughs> yes, there is snow in Hawaii. You Up can actually Haleakala, right? uh, Haleakala can get snow, but it's more common to see it on Mauna Kea, which the name of Mauna Kea actually means in Hawaiian, 
White Mountain because they it's named it properly. Yeah, yeah, um, they know what's up. Well, shadowing. So mm-hmm. you have uh, close to your uh, the district where you're running for Congress. There's a fire raging right now. Yeah, there's actually a couple. Um, there's one that's really I just heard about on the way over here, um, where it's it's near where the burn area was just a few months ago, and where a huge fire was uh, last year, Sand Fire, which everybody heard about, and then the Latuna Fire, which was just a couple months ago, and now the one in Ventura is is going. Uh, I think they said twenty something thousand people are under evacuation. Latuna means the cactus in Spanish. So naturally, yes, yes. that not would... Not the fish, not the fish. <laughs> 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 so you speak Spanish as well. I understand your husband is from Latin America. Well, he's actually from Panorama City, California, but he's half Colombian, half Mexican. Oh, His really? parents were both immigrants. That's a mix. So, yeah. So what, so a lot of, you know, you're, you're right there, you're a millennial, zennial, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, you're right on the line. What, what's the calling for public service? Where did that come from? Well, you know, I'm a scientist, and so I deal in the world of facts and truth and evidence. And, uh, and you're I've, still interested in politics. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's because we actually really need facts and truth in government and in our policymaking. And I saw that there was just this all-out assault on facts and the truth going on. And uh, with, with Trump and with my representative in our district, Steve Knight, uh, he, he's a rubber stamp for Trump. And we all know that Trump does not live in fact-based world. So basically, I'm running because I want to defend facts and champion evidence-based policymaking. You see the shark there on her on her neck? <laughs> Little hammerhead. Yep. Yeah, you came in strong early this morning. Well, you know, I like sharks and volcanoes. I mean, these things are clearly soft and cuddly, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's my understanding that a lot of people who go into politics, many people, um, Whatever party line you're on, a lot of times people are within the community, they're community organizers, you know, they work their way up, you know, uh, aldermen, congressmen or women, et cetera, et cetera. I guess you're a woman amongst the people because you're in environment and things of that sort. Do you kind of feel that you're breaking the mold because you're doing something, you're going about it in a uh, less traditional way? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's actually what we really need. Like, I mean, the people's house is what the House of Representatives was supposed to be. And right now, the average age of a member of Congress is 58. 57.8, 57.8, if you want to get technical. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, real detail-oriented <laughs> here. Scientists. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then the average net worth of a member of Congress is over a million bucks. So, Ooh, I wish. yeah, <laughs> it's not representing the people, right? And you don't, you see that 80% of them are lawyers or business people. And I'm like, that's got to change. I mean, our generation is not being represented in, in D.C., and there's no reason that we can't have that. What? Gentlemen first. But I feel like that's a problem in both parties. Look at the Democratic leadership. Mm -hmm. Did you see that SNL skit about the Democrats? It was very funny. You know, you have new faces like Nancy Pelosi and young thing Elizabeth Warren. I mean, all these people are my grandmother's age. And it it is. It's a bipartisan problem. (laughs) But, you know, I commend what you're doing because I think a lot of times millennials, you you hear the baby boomers always talk down to the millennials. And my my counter argument is, yeah, but you're going to need us to pour you a glass of water one day. Right. So for me, um, how hard is it for you to to be taken seriously uh, as a as a millennial running for public office? It hasn't been too hard, but I think that's because, you know, I, I work in a field where I have to lead expeditions. I founded a nonprofit called Blueprint Earth, and uh, we're basically bringing science to college and university students. And, uh, you know, when people Yay, see science. yeah, science, we need science <laughs> and, and we're working on, you know, solving huge environmental problems. So I think, you know, it doesn't matter your age. It matters if you're willing to get in there and roll up your sleeves and do the hard work. And when people see that, they appreciate you. doesn't matter what you look like or where you come from. If you're willing to work your 
Can I say ass? Ass off. Then uh, people respect it. Oh, you it. can say whatever you want. Okay, awesome. <laughs> it kind of goes back to the edict, how work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's it. So I can't let you off the hook easily. One of the biggest issues we have as millennials is housing. And perhaps housing is one of the worst problems, most acute problems we see in California. Yes. Exactly what you represent. Are you in favor of building more housing? How, how will you create more housing opportunities for millennials? Well, the unfortunate thing is that housing isn't a simple uh, it's something you can solve simply. It's something that requires a combination of factors going into play. And so we do need to incentivize developers to build more affordable housing. Yeah, I, I never yeah. hear that with old people. They're yeah. like, don't build in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. We need yes in my backyard. That's what we need, not, not in my backyard. Yeah, yeah, you need a YIMBY thing, not a NIMBY thing. And uh, in addition, we also need, because a lot of it is there's a burden placed on people to get into big cities, right? Because they live in the suburbs and they have to commute or they're trying <laughs> to live in these big cities. Well, we need more companies to incentivize teleworking and telecommuting for their employees because then you can work from home and obviously you can't do that in every profession but I think it's going to take a combination approach of more affordable housing more programs that help people get into affordable housing and then also the way that we need to bring people out of the population centers so we don't have that pain point quite as acutely. So it's going to be a huge effort, and we need to work with the organizations who are in the private sector, who are nonprofits, uh, who are trying to solve this as well. The government has to work hand-in-hand -hand with them. It's going to be a team effort. Go, Jess, go. I agree. That's a very good answer. We have a rising star here. I think so, too. When I first heard her profile, you said, what is it, a, a volcanologist? Yeah. Volcanologist. Look, I, I thought we would live long and prosper. No, it is. It is. It is. You got to do that, too. It. Yep. Can you high-five that way? Yeah. All right. So, Jess, unfortunately, we're out of time, but what advice do you have for young people who want to get involved in the political process? You have to speak up for yourself. No one is going to do that for you, and your voice is just as valid as anybody else's voice. So get out there, speak up and, and take action. Don't be afraid. Get your friends together and go out and do it because this is our time. This is our future. And the decisions that politicians are making today are going to impact us for the next several decades. So get out there and, and be vocal. That was very good. Daddy and, Daddy and Notorious B.I.G. said it best. Tell your friends to tell their friends. Yeah. yeah. Be friends. Mm -hmm. I like it. The man himself. Thank you so much for coming on Bold Business. Thank you, guys. Thank you, man. Absolutely. So next we have our weekly bookster segment. Bookster is a website for book lovers and much more. This week's author is John Levy, who wrote The 2 A.M. Principle. It's a real interesting book. Actually, has a very creative cover that we're going to talk about. He's accompanied by Sarah Hill, the CEO and co-founder of Bookster and friend of Bold. Welcome, friends. It's great to be here. Hello, friends. Hello. <laughs> Hello. We have a beautiful book to discuss today. <laughs> well, tell us. An amazing author. Oh, yeah, no, John, John's great, yeah. This is very difficult for me because I uh, go to sleep at, like, 11 so you're not following the 2 a.m. I'm not sir. following the 2 a.m. rule. I used to. I was wild once or more adventurous. But I want to hear how, is this like a concept that you started living your life by and now this is a story telling it? Or is um, this why you should stay up later? Oh, it's, uh, so first of all, the 2 a.m. principle is that nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. <laughs> so either you should have just gone to bed or it's one of those nights where you end up, uh, having the most incredible experience of your life, hopping on somebody's plane or uh, ending up in a dance off with Usher, which happened to me at one point. Uh, which it was, you lost, clearly. Oh, clearly. I'm like, okay. it, versus one of the greatest contemporary uh, dancers, I don't have a chance, clearly. Uh, but the, the principle is really simple, which is 
that we don't remember the, the length of pleasure or pain in general. We remember the peaks of experiences and how they end. And because of that, if the key is to just make sure that the, the experiences that you have are extraordinary. Uh, but nobody really dedicated themselves to understanding how to make that happen. And so I spent years traveling all over the place and taking scientific research as a behavioral scientist uh, and applying it and seeing what happens. So to test uh, constraints, I dropped myself off in the city of Nice, where I don't speak the language, don't know anybody. I have no place to stay. And either I would convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I would sleep on the street. My gosh. And it was, you know, terrifying and exciting. And uh, but... The way I designed the experiments were that in worst case scenario, like maybe I'll be sleepless and hungry or something. But yeah, uh, except for there was one time I almost literally died. I was um, crushed by a bull in Pamplona and uh, I thought I was paralyzed. I was in the stadium. Uh, the bull missed its jump to enter the stadium, landed on my back and I lost all feeling. <sighs> and literally the screams of all the spectators disappeared. And I thought I was just done for. And what do you think it. about that, Scoopy? He got gored by a bull in Spain. <laughs> the only bull that I would want to get <laughs> ran by my sports guy is Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> um, more power to you, my brother. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I know that over Thanksgiving break, um, I was watching, uh, or Thanksgiving, the day of Thanksgiving, we were flipping between a football game, and one of my cousins was watching bullfight. I'm like, you know, this is kind of cool. Like, the last time I watched bullfighting was, like, on Bugs Bunny. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, I want to know more about that. Like, what what convinced you to, to to do that? Did you have a helmet on, first of all? Absolutely not. So <laughs> Your mom's uh, going to kick your butt, brother. Uh, you have no idea. I, I was getting screamed at by my mom. Uh, she, was in, she was in a foreign country. I was in Spain. The, what, uh, as with most things in life, it uh, starts with a girl. Right, so I had this terrible breakup, and I uh, can I can I stop you for a second? You talk about Usher, right? Yeah. When you listen to "What's Bad," is you the one to hook this up? When you listen to "You Make Me Wanna" before you. I would. I I will tell you, I was not in like the right mental state. Right? So I have yeah. this terrible breakup, and I decide, you know what? I got to get out of my head and everything. So what I, I did was I took on a wild travel challenge. I said, every month I'm going to travel to the biggest event in the world, wherever it was. I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. I just needed some audacious goal to get me out there and to make sure I was growing and connecting with people and, and uh, redefining who I was. Right. And uh, in July, it's uh, Pamplona. But I also went to Burning Man, Art Basel, uh, Art Basel. Yes, which, which is happening right now, yes, or it's about <laughs> to start today. So, uh, and in each of these places, I, uh, I put out kind of wild experiments to see what would happen. Uh, some of them led to me uh, guinea dipping in uh, Miami Art Basel's uh, at the beach there, uh, getting burgled and ending up with all my electronics stolen, all my money, clothes were missing from the entire group, and we run to the boardwalk to get help, and Russell Simmons is there. And so that's like one Wait, you were naked with an art basel by Russell Simmons? I, I wasn't naked. I was barely dressed. But You're leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> too soon. Too <laughs> we, <laughs> moving right along. You know, one thing I noticed um, as you were talking, I'm looking at your arm. Yes. You have a tat no, I'm looking no, at that The one. other one. Yes. You got a clock. Yes. I'm guessing 
time is now? My time? Uh, well, it's actually set to 2 a.m. Okay. Uh, because I got it <laughs> in honor of the book. Uh, and it's uh, to remind me that either I got to cut it off or I got to make it incredible. And if I'm going to make it incredible, there are certain things I've got to look for. So the most important thing by far is that you surround yourself with the right people. This is like the pursuit of happiness on steroids. I've, I've been around Sarah at 2 a.m. We're 2 a.m., buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might have to join one day. What do you think about the science of adventure, Sarah? Uh, the science of adventure. I mean, I think you got to be open to it, right? Like, if you, like you're saying, if you, you know, it's really easy to get into a habit or a pattern. And what makes me kind of a good CEO is that I do get into a habit and a pattern and I'm really efficient and dot, dot, dot. And if anything gets out of line, I notice it and I fix it. But that's when you miss out on the adventure, right? And what I'm constantly learning is how to adapt to that. Um, they say, like, genius is how well you deal with change, right? Mm. And, like, that's part of this is, you know, being open to adventure and, and spontaneity. That's, uh, it, I think it's a, you bring up an excellent point, which is that uh, routines are incredible if you want to be a peak effectiveness, Right. So if you want to be a top athlete, CEO, you want to have this teams that are well-oiled machines. Uh, but if you want to talk about growth, growth happens when you're uncomfortable. It's when you're outside of your comfort zone. It's when you either push some kind of social, physical or emotional boundary and you put yourself out there and you see what happens and what breaks. And so I think that what you're talking about is essential if you want to have a productive life. And if you want to take it to that next level, you're going to have to let things break and get a little crazy. You know, he always wishes people an uncomfortable life. I mean, I've heard that the, I've heard the line be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yep. If we could kind of just like wrap that up and put it in a big bow for Christmas. I think that's <laughs> what's funny about that, too, is like people always say, oh, Sarah, like, how have you done this or whatever and I'm like I didn't do anything I have taken a high risk on my lifestyle like it could all be gone tomorrow and then I'm like but you kind of think that you're in a state of comfort when actually it could also all be gone tomorrow as well so I think you know if you find that balance of you know I don't know it's just, I love this philosophy I think it's fantastic so there's this incredible research that looks at uh what's essentially your peak discomfort right which is it turns out that being really calm and feeling safe isn't the best for us in terms of being effective or productive. There's an optimal anxiety. At a certain point, when you have enough pressure on you, you you're at the peak performance. Anything above that, you stop being productive. And so if you can get yourself in a state of peak performance or of optimal anxiety, you, you're actually better off. It, we are out of time, Mr. Scoopy. <laughs> but anyway love the book tell us about the cover it won uh, an award yes it won best design book of the year i'm super proud of it i wish i could take credit for designing it but it actually spins and gives you different challenges to do uh wow. as you spin it so spin uh, it'll, on your book it'll tell you to go battle some bulls and it'll tell you to uh crash a party and toast the crowd even though they don't know you so John Levy, author of The 2 a.m. Principle, catch it on Amazon and spin that wheel. And Sarah Hill, CEO of Bookster, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, lady and gent. So next up, we have Brooke Bond joining us. She's here to talk about the Rally Aicha de Gazelle in Morocco. It's the largest all-female motorsport competition in the world. Brooke Foster's relationship with American teams for this exciting desert rally. Sounds like a really fun job, Brooke. It is. It's a blast. And I'm very fortunate to uh, work with them and 
158 teams last year, and it's all women's off-road. and Racing through the Sahara Desert. Racing through the Sahara Desert. Uh, this year, we're going into our 28th year, and it's just an incredible experience to empower women to push them outside of their comfort zone. And um, we also have a nonprofit that follows, follows us throughout the desert, and uh, it's the Corte Gazelle, and we give back to the local communities. We provide women with the education to start their own businesses. and In, um, in the areas where you race through? Exactly. And so it's an amazing feeling from the moment I landed in Casablanca to when I left uh, in Wazazat. Every local, whether you're in a city or um, in the desert, the kind of nomadic people are just so excited to see you and um, they understand that the gazelles are giving back. So it's You're a galloping gazelle. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I have eight years of automotive marketing experience and it was a perfect fit. Um, so a little different really... because a lot of automotive stuff is American. Exactly. And this is all women's basic it's hand navigation as well so these women are pushed to their extremes they have two marathons what does hand navigation mean like a uh, map and compass oh they're not allowed to use gps nothing there is actually even a cap on the zoom that you can bring as well on your camera so you have a map and a compass it's a topographical map that hasn't been updated uh for about 30 years and they're alone <clears throat> we do have satellite tracking on them so that even if they are stagnant for five minutes, we know. We know exactly where they are at that's all like, times. That's like Uber when you tell them to, to drive to Taco Bell and they sit for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, sir, like, sir, we at exactly. 6.05. It's like, sir, I gotta, you got to go. Like, charge me extra. You want something for Taco Bell? Yeah. So this past weekend, we actually had a navigation training up in the Catskills. and nice. uh, We have five American teams confirmed for this year, so I'm very When is the race? Encouraged. Uh, it's March 16th to the 31st. It takes that long? It's Well, it's eight days, and so we start, we have a kickoff in the south of France, and then we drive down and take the ferry over, and land in Morocco, drive to the Sahara, and that's where we what start. What a contrast, starting in France and ending up in the Sahara mm -hmm. Desert. So, And it's such a mix of women. We have women from 18 to 72 who have done the rally. Grandma's... Getting in on it too. Grandmas are killing it. They did so well. They because they uh, they are like patient. And they're kind of doing it for the right reasons. So they uh, and they know how to use a map and compass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah unlike us. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So. Danica Patrick, Granny's coming for you. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah, off road and. What inspired you to want to get into uh, that type of work? <laughs> it's something I really believe in, and just like. The gentleman said earlier, uh, pushing women outside of their comfort zones and letting them know that they can do this and come out on the other side <clears throat> changed and empowered and really trusting themselves. I think it's a refreshing reminder that being on your own and being safe and secure in the literal middle, middle of nowhere is uh, something that everyone, I think, should experience. So the multi-day race, do they camp out while they're racing? They yeah. don't stop at a hotel, right? No, no, no. We have, a, <laughs> we have a big bivouac, we call it. It's a huge base camp of about 500 people overall, and they provide, make us fresh breakfast and And dinner. they travel with the race? Yep. And so wow. it, it stays permanent because the race kind of goes uh, around the Sahara in a circle, and 
it's uh, there's a little shop, there's a cash bar, and it's all. So it's different like Burning tents. Man in the Sahara, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there is two marathon legs where the girls uh, stay out in the dunes wherever they uh, set up shop. There's anywhere between eight and about sixteen checkpoints that they have to find per day. I'm getting flashbacks. You know when you go to the movies mm-hmm. and they have the Daytona USA. Yeah, yeah, the woman in the background. Checkpoint. <laughs> exactly. Like the only experience I have in the That's Sahara Desert is I was there the other day playing it. <laughs> but I mean, what is this something you just fathom in your mind? Like I, I race in the Sahara one day. Was there somebody who led you to that? Like I'm really curious into what got you started. I mean, um, I love to say my parents were shocked when I opened my own business, uh-huh. and uh, when I found the gazelles and through just kind of mutual friends. The automotive community is actually pretty, quite tight-knit. Yeah. And so... And this we, includes the Indy, the Daytona 500, all of those types kind of More races. so there's, like, the Mint 400 and the Baja and, like, the Dakar. The Dakar Harry rally, Dakar. yes, of course. So that yeah. community um, is all very tight-knit. And Here's my question. I interviewed Mario Andretti last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him what music got him hyped up before <laughs> a game, or before a race, rather. Yeah. Same question to you. What music gets you hyped before a big race? Um, probably a little White Stripes or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Pedal to the metal. So. so, you know, I feel like a lot of people, when they're choosing a career, always feel like they're very confined. Like they can only be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, etc. How in the world did you stumble upon the automotive community and then end up representing, you know, Americans in a foreign rally that races through the Sahara Desert. Sounds very exciting, but sounds like something that a lot of people wouldn't know about. Well, there's a lot of transitions in the automotive market right now, as everyone knows, between autonomous and back and forth. But, like, automotive racing will never die, and it's part of our history. I think we can never forget, you know, because of NASCAR um, and actually the prohibition, that's how we got NASCAR. And so it's kind of ingrained in us. And when I started my business and found the gazelles, they matched with, aligned with all of my goals as well. And um, like I said, to well, what did have you a study? Career. What did you? I studied um, basket weaving one on one. Merchandising and business. <laughs> so, merchandising. Yeah. And I'm originally from Detroit, and my. Family is in automotive, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, it's all um, coming out now, exactly. But New York, you know, is a basis for the drive for a lot of automotive communities. The Manhattan Classic Car Club is a very good friend of mine, and they support the rally as well. We um, really just love everything that they do, and for it to be around for 28 years and to be the first women's only off road rally. Started by a group of French women who wanted to shake their friends up and let them know that they can do anything they want. We oui, we oui, so. parlez-vous français? <laughs> well, there's this is best attempt at French, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, our next guest created a continuing education packet aimed at young scholars in the Caribbean. The Can't Stop, Won't Stop Learning Packet is being shared by Miss Jerry Worldwide. She's here to talk about her efforts to equip young scholars to make a difference in their communities and beyond. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good so morning. the Caribbean, you're from there, I guess? No, I'm actually from North Carolina. So what why part? the Caribbean? 
Raleigh, 919. 919. Yes. I like that. He knows. So um, the Caribbean, because I saw a need. Um, I'm always looking for ways that I can use my natural talents, writing, things of this nature to help and uplift my community. And I consider our U.S. Virgin Islanders, our Puerto Ricans, a part of my community. So um, I've, I've always known as an educator that education makes a difference. When people are in the know, they're able to make better decisions. They're um, able to persevere. And really what I'm looking for, that's why I, you know, kind of borrowed the line. From Diddy. Um, from Diddy. That's work. <laughs> <laughs> I borrowed the line. Can't stop, won't stop. Because we can't stop, won't stop learning. We've got to keep learning. We've got to keep growing. And the packet actually features a lot of information about economics. So we can let our young scholars know what's going on. Um, we need them to be woke. We need them to see what's going on with the companies and businesses that are coming into their environment. And also letting them know terms like supply and demand. Letting them um, know about capitalism. Letting them know about um, environmental racism. All of these things that are going on in their community. Um, giving them relevant terms. Putting it in context. And just allowing them to continue to um, learn and grow. I may be a sports guy, but I'm also a hip-hop guy. Do you know that she basically just quoted Biggie's Ten Crack Commandments? Never get high off your own supply. <laughs> Honestly, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. You know, however it translates for you, as long as we're learning, as long as we're growing, as long as we're uplifting our people, that's what's necessary. That's my goal. But in all essence, I mean, getting high off your own supply isn't just necessarily that. It's also, you know, making sure that you, you, you know your demographic, you know your, you know who's coming to do business with you. You know, hip-hop taught us that. We just flipped it into made it into a legal form. And I think what you're doing is wonderful in the Caribbean. Yes, thank you. And even um, inserting hip-hop, it's not just the name of the packet, but even we have um, song lyrics in here. Sure. And um, I've, I've also given definitions for the parts of speech. So even if they can grab some other text, wherever they are, what's available to them, they're still able to um, identify the different parts of speech so they're working on their grammar and there's some lyrics in here as well and one of them is there's a couple little public enemy lyrics in here well they'll insert verbs nouns and adjectives so they're practicing with their grammar so you're talking about areas that were hit hard by hurricane maria mm -hmm. and hurricane the other one irma irma mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> the other there's so many hurricanes exactly uh what are you doing where do we move from here now in those communities so in my opinion, education is something that can never be taken away. A storm can't take it away. Um, as long as you're learning, as long as you're growing, you're moving your community forward. Um, so the next step for me is we've actually just launched our GoFundMe. Um, we're looking to raise $1,000 to print more packets um, and be able to buy pencils as well as pencil sharpeners because I am a teacher. I am in the classroom. So they can get the packet, but they need writing utensils as well to, to continue to practice. And they'll be able to, um, there's word searches, just things to keep them engaged and also to motivate their parents um, because a lot of my friends that have children, one thing that I see them a lot on Snapchat showing their kids doing their homework or taking pictures of their kids reading. So I feel that um, for the population there, it'll be motivating to them to see their children doing schoolwork in the midst of the aftermath of these storms. What is the biggest uh, challenge for you um, working with kids and obviously, or uh, honestly, either getting funding or just working with them in general? What, mm -hmm. what are the two hurdles you have? Um, I say those two things go hand in hand because even when I'm when I'm working with children, especially in my classroom, there's things that I want to do for them. There's things I want to provide them with, whether it's a pair of shoes because I see that their shoes have holes in them, whether it's a meal, you know, um, even as kids, you know, whenever we saw our parents eating, we wanted to eat. So when my students, I don't even feel comfortable all the time 
time eating in front of them, knowing that some of them are hungry, knowing that some of them are going without. So I think that Where it's... Where do you teach? Um, I actually teach in Harlem. So I'm right here in the city. That's why I was running a little bit late. Sorry, guys. But oh, good. Yeah, so... But I think the need, the immediate need is financial, so we can print more packets. But the long-term need is more people to invest time and energy and money in education because we're preparing our future leaders. So, Miss Jerry, you know, mm -hmm. one of the problems we have here in the United States is that we have the largest education budget in the world, but we don't see a lot of impact for it. Why yes. is it not just about money? It's about much more, isn't it? It's about much more because, I mean, one of the terms in the workbook is capitalism, <laughs> and that is the nature of our society. So we have to, I feel, come together and really sit down and have these conversations and try and figure out what it is that we can do to channel the proper resources to education. I think there needs to be more conversation with teachers, um, and there needs to be more conversation involving the parents, so that way the expectation and what is being delivered are aligned. So, so community is a huge part of it. Community is everything. everything. Community is everything. Like these conversations, like I really appreciate you guys for even having me on to, to start this dialogue and I, I hope we can continue it. My mother's a, a, a learning uh, consultant uh, mm. with, with kids and um, one of the things that I find interesting with younger kids is you got to talk more. You got to explain more. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm still like that. Yeah. <laughs> we all need accommodations. We all need accommodations. But I agree, really, just just fostering that communication. And, and hip-hop is one of my favorite vehicles to do it. Um, we can make um, metaphors to lyrics all the time. Um, a lot of times in the classroom, that's how they get it. That's when they get it. I'm like, you need to annotate this paper like a boss. That means you need to come and look for all these keywords. You need to make um, notes in the margins, and you need to do it in such a way that you're bossing up right now. I think she listened to Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> all these yeah. hip hop references peppered throughout everything. Hey, huh? that's our culture. That's I would have. I'm, I'm a hip hop idiot. I would have been here like, oh, that sounds so eloquent. I have no idea. <laughs> it's all right. You've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now you're ready. You've been educated. You're ready. I like it. Thank I you. like it. Um, one thing that I, I'm, I'm curious about as far as the Caribbean, you're from North Carolina, mm -hmm. um, the Caribbean. Like, what, are, are you part Caribbean? What, what's your, what's your I, I asked that question. She said no. She's just interested. I'm, I'm just looking for, here. there is a huge community here, and I'm, I'm working to serve that community, you know, one in my classroom. That's where I'm, that's where I'm starting. But I saw a need, um, and this is a skill set that I have, developing lessons, developing fun ways um, for young people to learn. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm, I watch Bold. I watch a lot of news, and as I'm consuming this media, I'm seeing that there needs to be, um, some type of continuing education, some type of motivation for, for the people in the Caribbean. And um, that's where I'm starting. I hope we can go um, worldwide, you know, Miss Jerry worldwide. That's my goal. My goal is to help up educate and uplift um, on a global scale. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Now we're here. Ms. Jerry, excellent guest. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Next, we have Julian Mitchell coming on Bold Business. He's here to cover how you can get paid to be yourself. Oh, boy. That's actually a live webinar that walks you through the mechanics of creating the career you want and monetizing your value. Julian is joined by Melvin Taylor of Bold TV. Welcome to you both. What's going on? Hey. How are you? I like, I like the, the old See? There we go. Brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. He's talking about his neck. Yeah, the yes, own. So get paid to be yourself? That yes. sounds fantastic. I think it's the real American dream, you know, to be honest. Uh, you want to get paid for uh, your passion. You know, everybody talks about how do you turn your passion into your profession or how do you turn the things that you love into your career. And I think that's talked about very um, 
theoretically, right? Or or like it's uh, very esoteric, this idea of you know, <laughs> turn everything you love into what you do. But there's a real uh, applicable and actionable um, idea behind that. And that's basically saying you can control your time. You can control, you get paid for your value, not your time. Um, so first is understanding what, what unique value you add to whatever specific industry or space that you're in. Uh, what is your personal mission? You know, like what is your why? What is your the movement that you represent? And then uh, how do you take control of your time, of your uh, value, of your influence, and then be able to design the kind of career you want or create the kind of business that you want that's rooted in who you are, what your mission is, and ultimately the way you want to affect an industry or the culture, you know, at large. So it's get paid to be yourself as first, the thinking. It's kind of three-tiered, like getting people to understand the perspective and, and the way of thinking behind that. And then two, it's seeing it through the stories of people who've done it and people who continue to do it. And then the third part is giving people the tools and the, and the tips and the insight to actually be able to do it um, themselves. So that's, you know, what it's about. We have a modern-day uh, DJ Khaled in here. Major keys. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to and, you, and you're reclaiming your time. Absolutely. You have to reclaim your time, man. Like you want you want to be able to control your time, control the people you do business with, control how much money you can make, control the way that you spend your day every day. What was the catalyst um, for you? I know for me, um, I realized that I was unique, um, that I could use my use. Yeah. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly think when you when you when you snowflake, many people (laughs) don't know. Right. That they're unique or they're made fun of because they're unique. Right. What, what, what was what was it for you that you, you decided to kind of preach that message? Man, I think it was two things to be quick. The first thing was I realized early on that I had a gift because I was interested in so many different things that it brought so many different communities of people together. Right. Sure. And it showed me very early on that being myself naturally engaged in brought together all these different types of people. Um, so then I saw that there was a culture of me early on, like the things that I like, look, language, lifestyle, interests. And then from there, I was able to take that as a blueprint to to create the type of experiences and culture that I wanted in the spaces that I was in. Then as I got into the business, I realized that I had this unique value and perspective and these talents across the board. So it didn't matter what my experience was or what my background was in whatever industry, whether it was television, media, education, as long as I understood that value and how to translate that value, then I could literally conquer and maneuver any industry that I was in, and that was proven. So then I started showing other people. I started saying, yo, you know, you can literally get paid to be who you are. You don't have to have the particular background or anything. You need to know, like, what your value is, what your skills are to share that value, and then how it impacts a particular, you know, a particular space. So I realized I, that... I didn't need all of the things people said that I needed. I really just had to first understand, you know, what my strengths and my value and my and my point of view was. So, Melvin, usually I ask, yeah. you know, people from Bold TV why they brought their guests, but I can kind of see why you brought him. I mean, the 100%. <laughs> just uh, from knowing Julian and who he is, he's somebody that really impacts the cultures in which he participates in and the things it is that he sees. And just from his experience in the media world you can kind of see this man has it all and can do it all and he's somebody that i believe the bold audience and then just the world at large to know more of so yeah no problem so culture yes um what are some of the projects you're you're working on currently 
You love culture. Man, anything you could do to ask about culture, huh? Sure, you got to. You got to. <laughs> Number one, my biggest mission is making culture smarter. That's kind of my thing, right? Um, more informed, more enlightened, more inspired. Uh, for me right now, I'm still a columnist with Forbes. I've been with Forbes almost three years now. Um, I saw that. I look at everyone's LinkedIn page before yeah, they come on. Yeah. Um, so uh, covering entrepreneurs and startups that are changing industries is the new creative class, people who are impacting culture. I have a series right now, too, with Beats by Dre called Corner Office, where I sit down with uh, entrepreneurs, founders uh, who are shifting and impacting culture. I have to get paid to be a self, the one-on-one. It's like a live talk, kind of like a tour. I Dame Dash, Ryan Leslie, Rob Stone. So I sit one-on-one with these people across the country and talk about their, their path and how they built uh, their businesses. So I'm still doing that. Um, I also have the webinars and the actual like live workshops that I do at different festivals and conferences. So I'll uh, still continuing to do that and just uh, engage people and, and educate people. So that's my biggest thing right now. Best piece of advice that anyone's ever given you? Best piece of advice anybody's ever given me? Man, uh, I'd say the best passion you can develop is a passion for your own growth. Uh, and then I would say create more opportunities than you ask for. Well, on that note, yeah, you've been a great guest. Thank, thank you. you, Melvin, for bringing him. And I thank appreciate you for it. coming. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So our last guest is an entrepreneur and creator of SnapDog, which makes premium beef franks and sausages from recipes passed on from generation to generation. The natural casing of these hot dogs gives it a built-in snap, hence the name SnapDog. Keith Dorman, CEO of SnapDog, is here to talk about his company. He's setting up, oh my goodness, you brought your merchandise with you. I did. I did. Thank you so much for having me. You're earning cool points with a big brother already. Thank you. <laughs> they're, they're hot. I just brought, you know, if you'd like oh, to try yeah, one. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Our uh, regular hot dog there in the middle, and on the side is a very spicy. It's very spicy. Just one more. Okay, so which one is the non-spicy? Which one, right here? The middle one is the non-spicy, yes. This is non-spicy. Yes, I'm yes. gluten-free, so I'm just going to yes. grab the hot dog here. Great. Uh-huh. Great, great. So, um, yeah, you know, I was selling hot dogs on the street in New York City. And I had my premium all-beef hot dogs, and I realized that the guys next to me were selling hot dogs made from mechanically separated chicken. Oh, good. You know, all hot dogs look the same. So people coming from other states, you know, visiting New York City, the tours, they were, you know, kind of getting ripped off here. And so I said to myself, there's got to be some sort of way for us to figure out, you know, how to identify what it is somebody's actually eating. Mm-hmm. And through a lot of research, I found a company that has uh, uh, the technology to put, we put the name Snapdog and the word beef on the side of the hot dog without using any dyes and coloring. Mm. That way people know exactly what they're eating. Oh, so. I was just in Mexico. This can't be that spicy. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Brandon. First. No, please, please. I know you get your mouth full. But, uh, uh, so I remember growing up, my family were business owners in Harlem. We owned a shoe, two shoe stores oh, wow. on 25th Street in Harlem, man. My, my nana, she used to say, um, there's a guy with a hot dog truck. I was like, nana, I want a hot dog. No, we don't eat those dirty dog hot dogs. There was something to that. That's right. Absolutely. The guys out there, they, they could be ruthless. You know, their their interests are are not where they should be. And uh, and that's for a select few of them. There are some others out there that really do care and take a lot of pride in their business. Mm-hmm. Most of them sell Snapdog. But uh, <laughs> what percentage of New York City hot dog carts have Snapdog? Uh, I would say less than 10 percent. That's still a lot. That's a lot of market penetration. Uh, it, yeah. it, we, we have been we, we, we have been fairly successful with that. You know, like I said before, there's some guys that get it. They understand repeat business. They understand that the consumer today wants to know what they're eating. 
we trademarked the slogan, know your dog. You know, uh, you know, people don't come to New York to, to eat a hot dog made from mechanically separated chicken, which is a paste made from pulverized chicken bones, chicken skin, chicken oh, blood. Chicken bones and that stuff? Pulverized chicken bones. There's actually calcium content on the label because of the, the calcium from the bones. And, and, and so uh, you'll never find anything like that. <laughs> we only use 100% premium beef. The guys who make my hot dog are really big with pastrami, corned beef, and roast beef. So they're using the trimmings from those premium cuts of beef to make my hot dogs with. Here's my question. Yes, um, Brent. For our, and I love that he says my name. So when someone is buying a hot dog in the street uh, like this, how much would a hot dog like this retail for in the store? Oh, you know, or rather on the street. On the street, uh, you know, guys, uh, uh, there, there's a variance in price. Okay. You know, there's some fellas out there that are looking to just kind of move product. So they, there's dollar dog people out there, and that's probably the ones that are selling the the McCarty dogs, the chicken, the chicken hot dog. Right. Um, and then there's this great uh, story uh, many years ago: a tourist from a foreign country that didn't speak English very well got charged twenty dollars for a hot dog. Oh yeah, That's an expensive so uh, well, most hot dogs are, are about three dollars is for regular size hot dogs. Between two, two and three dollars is the average price on the street. Okay. Yes. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs here that want to start their own businesses, and a lot of them have to do with food, and a lot of them are in the same niche that you're in. You know, making real food again because a lot of our food, unfortunately, isn't real. Mm-mm. What advice do you have for them? Because you saw a need, you saw a niche, and you chase after it. But there's a lot of other open markets in this same space. Yes. Uh, well, I can't really speak for other categories, but, you know, as far as hot dogs, well, my advice would be to stick with it because there's a lot of big boys out there mm-hmm. and they want to do whatever they can. And they noticed sure. you right away, didn't oh, they? Oh, I, I could, we, we don't have enough time for me to go into the stories of, of, of the tricks that have been pulled on me from my competitors, some of which, you know, uh, anyway, antitrust sort of issues. But, uh, you know, my advice would be to stick with it. You know, the consumer today, like I said before, they want to know what they're eating. They're looking for something that's a little bit more premium. And the older established brands that are out there are going to do anything they could possibly do to prevent people from from getting their foot in the door so th- that would be my advice where can we find those uh, are they in grocery stores or are you online what do you, you know, know? We're, we're a young company so our, our distribution is still uh, in the infantile stages for the most part our major distribution is here in New York to a lot of the carts if you look for the big orange and blue umbrellas that say snap dog I know exactly which ones you're talking about and yes. they also say now a better hot dog.com that's our that's our website a better hot dog.com um, and then what has happened is folks from around the country have gotten in touch with me. I, we now have carts in California, Tennessee, Florida, Maine, Rhode Island, uh, Detroit. Uh, every day we get an email from someone who has a cart somewhere else that's looking to uh, expand upon, uh, that's looking you know, for, for something new. That's not the same old. That's the thing with hot dogs. It's the same old brands over and over. And uh, and so, yeah, so 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 on our website at betterhotdog.com, there's a uh, list there of cart locations. So before you leave, we're out of time. Keith, tell us what advice you have for entrepreneurs in general. Thank you, David. Uh, My advice would be is to go with your passion because there's so few people out there that really care. And as an entrepreneur, you know, that's that's your fire and let that fire burn. Okay, and keep your desire, keep your passion, keep it going. There's going to be a lot of obstacles that stand in your way. Don't give up. Keep going. That was amazing.
Thank you, like Keith. Thank you, David. Keith thank you, Snap Dog. Thank you so much. Here. Absolutely. Thank and thank you for joining us on Bold Business. A warm thanks to all our hardworking staff at Jen FKD, Bookster, and Bold TV. And a special thanks to my guest, co-anchor Scoopy. I like you. I like you, too. I think I'll keep them. Thank you for all the uh, hip-hop <laughs> cliff notes. Very helpful. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 a.m. In the meantime, you can catch our politically focused show with Carrie Sheffield and Clay Aiken on Friday at 10 a.m. Have a great week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.